chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, we read this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, not to be confused with what some of us may think it to be, which is the Great Recommendation. It is not a recommendation, it is the Great Commission. It's a command from Jesus, a command from Jesus which we all know, we often discuss, but do we truly live by it? Do we do it? We talked a little bit about this last week before my sermon and about how we must all be disciples of Christ, but not just disciples of Christ. We should be disciples who are making disciples. But do we truly understand what it means to be a disciple? Do we know what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples? Do we understand how to do that? Today we're talking about this. We're talking about chapter 2. What comes after salvation? Discipleship. We talk about salvation quite often. We talk about evangelism quite often. But I think sometimes, and I take the blame on this, maybe we struggle to talk about the how. And we especially struggle with doing it in everyday life and showing people the how. It's one thing to teach. It's one thing to tell somebody how to do it. But it's something different to show them how to do it. And we must cross that boundary. We must, must cross that line and show people how to do it. Today's going to be a very simple, you could almost say an old-fashioned three-point sermon. Well, I'm going to try and stick with that. Some of you highly organizational point A type people, type A people, are going to love this. And I'm even going to give you the points right off the bat here. Discipleship. Disciples are, one, saved by Christ. Two, obeying Christ. And three, teaching Christ. Remember, the Great Commission is not the great recommendation. It is something we should be intentionally trying to accomplish every day of our life. As a commission, we have been commissioned like soldiers commissioned into a war to do what he has commanded us to do. Now, this is essential to our Christian work and to our Christian walk, and we should want to accomplish these things. But we should want to accomplish them for, I'm going to give you two reasons. Actually, three. The first reason is just simply because Jesus has told us to do so. And we should want to do what Jesus tells us to do as Lord and Savior of our life. But here are those simple two reasons of why we should want to accomplish the Great Commission. One, we should be wanting to do this simply because we're excited about what we have. One, why should we want to accomplish the Great Commission? Because we're saved by Christ. And we should want to tell everybody about what we have. We should be so excited that we can't keep our mouth shut. As Peter said in his word, in his book, 
He's just so excited for what he has that he just wants to go off and tell everybody about it. It just naturally speaks out of him. But then, two, the second reason why we should naturally be wanting to accomplish the Great Commission is because we, of all people, should know the ever-present and dire need for the world to hear about Jesus. For the world to hear about the hope that we have for salvation, for help in this world. Discipling is about helping yourself and others know Christ and follow Christ. And it has been estimated, I heard this statistic last week at my pastor's conference, our annual meeting, that it has been estimated that in the next five years, we will be losing 40% of all evangelical pastors. They'll be leaving the ministry for one reason or or another, mostly, I hope, just because they're retiring. But natural state of life, they also might be dying to be with our Lord Jesus for all of eternity. They'll be dying from from this life, but to to transition into an eternal life with God. But listen to that number. In the next five years, 40% of all evangelical pastors, leaders, will be leaving the ministry. And it's estimated that the same is true for regular Christians, just everyday non-vocational Christians too. The numbers will be decreasing as the baby boomers will also be decreasing. So we must be following this great commission. We must be living according to the commission which we have in our life. With the number of pastors, ministers, ministry leaders decreasing, it is the time for Christians to do their duty. It's past time. Because there is never a time that we should not be doing this. And it's not just the job of the pastor, the missionary, the Sunday school teacher, the ministry leader to evangelize and to disciple the lost. It is all of our jobs as Christ followers, as disciples. Now, maybe you're confused about what being a disciple is. That's why one point here I gave you this. Discipling is about helping yourself and others know Christ and follow Christ. It's about teaching yourself God's ways and others. And it's also about following those ways. But being a disciple is not this. Let me tell you, being a disciple of Christ does not mean that you're some super Christian. That you never make mistakes or that you're holier than thou. Some people might think that. They might think, oh, a disciple, that's one of those holier than thou types. That's one of those perfect Christians. That's a, like a superhero of the faith, and I could never be that. No, we should all be disciples of Christ. It means that you have repented. You have turned away from your sins. You've turned away from your past life or your, your ways you used to live. Of the world. You've surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're following after Him. You're imitating Him, His life, and His instructions for everyday living. So, point one is simply this Disciples are saved by Christ. Disciples are saved by Christ. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm trying to work to get to that point three, which we often fail to do. We need to be teaching others. But point one, disciples are saved by Christ. I think we all need this reminder. Our souls need reminded every day of the good news that Christ has saved us. You are saved, or at least you could be saved if Jesus is your Savior. Jesus still saves today. He has saved us from our past, and he saves us for a future. He can be your Savior from your addictions, from your failures, from your problems, from your sin. 
But we need to give it all to him. And too often we're trying to hang on to it all. Too often we forget this point one. You have been saved by Christ. And we continue to allow our past mistakes, our past sins, our past problems to be a present problem for everyday living. Everyday living should be characterized by following after Christ, not by following after your past mistakes and allowing them to overshadow the great glory that you have living with the Savior. You're not a disciple of Christ without being saved by Christ, though. You may be a disciple of something else. You may be a disciple of anything. You could be following after anything, believing in, in anything, being taught in anything. But without being a disciple of Christ, you do not have that salvation. There's no hope, no salvation without Jesus. Let's get that straight. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As a disciple of Christ, we should be imitators of him and his love for others. That brings us simply, fastly to point two. Disciples are obeying Christ. Or you could say we are following and growing in Christ in our lives. Disciples are obeying Christ. There is no other option for our lives. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you should be following after him, living according to his ways. Being a disciple is not just a spectator sport. Being a disciple is not just about being a fan. It's about being a follower. It's about being a player in the game. I hate to call it a game, but people do call life the game of life but we are a player in the game and we must be following our coach following Jesus as you open to first Peter let me read this to you first Peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 says this so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual melt that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good like I said this is not optional this is telling us about what our lives as disciples should be like and I highlighted different words and different colors to point out some important things but really all of it is important every single word has so much meaning I love that John, John Piper has a great um, devotional, a great blog where he posts videos and he underlines certain words, he circles certain words, he changes words, colors, he writes notes, and he starts with a blank, a blank sheet of paper with the scripture on it like this, and by the end, he's just got scribbles all over the place. He's got a great one on this scripture, you can look it up. But notice some of the colors I put up here. So. Now, so obviously indicates that that there's a therefore. It's indicating something very important that he just got done talking about. So we should kind of flip back into, and I'm sorry, that says Second Peter. It's actually First Peter. But we should flip back to First Peter and see, what is he talking about when he says so? Well, let's flip backwards. First Peter chapter 1 says this, and, and I'm skipping around a little bit. We don't have time to read everything, but it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's a promise there, first of all, that we have an inheritance waiting for us that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Why? Because we are born again to a living hope. And how are we born again? We are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is powerful, but, but it goes on if we skip forward a little bit more into 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. It says, therefore, what should we be doing with our lives? Knowing this promise, knowing that we've been born again through Christ, through his resurrection, through his death, his life and death and resurrection, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So now we kind of know what that whole so means. So we flip forward to... 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3, and we read this again. So, so, therefore, now that we know these things, now that we've read these things, now that we are reminded that we are born again, we are new creations. Now that we're reminded of the future inheritance we have, the promises we have, we're reminded of how we should be living. Now he kind of starts to pull it together and summarize it. And it says this, so, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That right there is kind of powerful. I think it hits all of us in some way. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and slander. At our pastor's conference last weekend and, and at this annual meeting, our new president of the, the conservative Baptist of America denomination, our new president of the entire U.S. for this area, he spoke on this. He spoke about envy and how we're all envious of different things. Even as pastors, as if I'm holier than thou, let me tell you, I'm not. We're envious. We struggle with this as we, maybe you see different ministries across the United States and you see how successful they are. You see how deep different pastors are or how much they know, their knowledge, their wisdom. And you think, oh, I wish I had that. Or I, I wish I had the whole Bible memorized like some of these guys or whatever. We struggle with envy. And let me tell you, I'm not alone. We all struggle with envy. We all struggle with slander. Whether we want to admit it or not, we, we gossip a lot and we slander a lot. At least in our minds we do. And sometimes it's an excuse of prayer. As we pray, we give so many details to whoever we're praying with when maybe, I don't know, let me just challenge you with that. As you pray this coming week with people, think about the words that are coming out of your mouth. And is it slanderous? Is it gossip? Or is it truly all for prayer and for helping one another? Sometimes we give too many details and we just need to know that God knows the details. That doesn't mean we can't pray for somebody's marriage. But it also doesn't mean that as we tell somebody, hey, let's pray for our marriages, that we always have to name names or we always have to say exactly what they're going through and so-and-so cheated on so-and-so with so-and-so. 
Sometimes we use prayer as an excuse to slander. Sometimes we use prayer as an excuse to be envious, to be hypocrites, to be deceitful to others as maybe we're trying to put on a show for certain people. But let's move on. This first Peter chapter 2, so put away. As we see that word, and remember we're talking about that point too, disciples are obeying Christ. This is telling us some different ways we should be obeying Christ. This is giving us support or backup to this, this point. Here's what we should be doing. Like newborn infants, we should be longing for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is that spiritual milk? It is the word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I kind of like that final statement. It's kind of strong and blunt. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, your life should be categorized by this, defined by this. Your life should be changing and you should be longing, you should be longing for the pure spiritual milk. You should be longing for God's word. You should be longing for a deeper relationship with your Lord every single day because you've tasted that, that the Lord is good. Think about a newborn infant and how they long for that milk of the mother. Now, that milk, we obviously know, makes that baby grow. Just like here, the spiritual milk being the word of God, it helps us to grow in our faith and in our relationship with God. But not just that, a baby naturally just desires that milk. Nobody has, has woke them up and told them, well, you might wake them up at times, but normally they naturally just know that they need that. We should also naturally be desiring this. And if you don't naturally desire to grow close to God, then I urge you to pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life and help you to desire these things. So put away. Put away is an action statement. It's an action word that we need to be doing this. We can't just live unintentional lives, just, just handling each problem as it comes, just handling each day by day as we live. We need to actively put away these things and live according to God's word. We need to be like newborn infants longing for the pure spiritual milk that by it you grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is also just a great reminder that the Lord is good. Romans 3.23, though, tells us again how we need him. We need him. We can't grow up on our own. We cannot grow spiritually without his milk. We can't grow spiritually without being in the word of God. We need to have a continual, continual relationship with him. We could go on, but I think this kind of moves us on to that next point quite well, as that backs up that we are disciples of Christ, and as disciples of Christ, we should be growing in Christ. But we don't grow in Christ without obeying his word, without diving into his word, without diving into prayer, and working on this relationship that we have. You're, you're already saved by Jesus. Remember that point one. But as being saved by Christ, you should be obeying his word. We're saved by grace alone, and we should be disciples of his, following after him, not just spectators, not just fans, but followers, players on the field. Point three, then, is this. Disciples are teaching Christ. 
AKA other, others refer it by maybe some of these statements. Disciples are professing Christ, proclaiming Christ, sharing Christ. Disciples are making disciples. Disciples are multiplying. This is a part that maybe we often struggle with. We all struggle with different points. But I do think we're a lot better with, with teaching ourselves and obeying ourselves than actually going into the world and teaching others and telling others about what we have. So we get back to that great commission. Let me read that to you once again in the beginning. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission. It's not the great recommendation. It is the great commission. And this is a command. This is an order from somebody who says right at the beginning, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the man in charge. He is your superior who we should be submitting to. He is your Lord who you have surrendered your life to, and we should be submitting to these instructions of him. Having a personal relationship with Jesus is magnificent, but it is incomplete if it ends with us. Part of being a disciple of his, a follower, is to be intentionally helping others learn from him and become more like him. Everyone around you needs more of Jesus, and you do too. I love that t-shirt, as I've seen walk around Walmart, and one of these days I'm going to see it, I'm going to buy it, that just says, y'all need Jesus. But I also would like to add under it, y'all need Jesus. I know this because I know I do. We all need Jesus. And being a disciple, disciples are teaching Christ is a twofold thing. One, disciples are teaching Christ to themselves. But two, and what we focus on on this point, is disciples are teaching Christ to others. So here in a moment, I'm going to tell you to do something, and you guys can start thinking about it now so that you have no excuse. But here in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to think about one person in your life who you can disciple, who you can teach about Christ, who you can meet with regularly to talk about God's word and his plan and his will for our lives. I'm going to be asking you to think about that one person. We need to be discipling others. But we also need to make sure we're discipling ourselves. We cannot mature alone. We need to be intentionally placing people of greater spiritual maturity into our lives. Are you doing that? Maybe that's another name to write down. Is not just who can you disciple. But maybe a second name would be to think about somebody who you see as a greater spiritual maturity type person who you could ask to meet with every week and to talk with, to pray with, to study God's word with. And maybe you just plan on meeting with that person before the other person so that you can take some of those things you just learned and pass it down, spread it. Disciple yourselves, but disciple others too. Teach the way of Jesus and his word and let your light shine. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I was going for a run the other day. Yes, I've started back up running. Praise the Lord. That's a big one because it takes motivation to do that. But 
I was listening to some, an old playlist. There's a Spotify play, playlist. I think it's just called like classic youth group songs or something like that. And it kind of reminds me of youth group songs back from the late 90s, early 2000s. And this old song by Newsboys came on called Shine. And it was simply words like this. Shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. Shine. Let it shine before all men. Let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. Shine. Shine. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be lit in, lit, uh, hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine. Make them wonder what you got. We need to be shining our light for the world to see. And also, let me correct that statement. We need to be shining not our light, but the light of Christ. I think we're pretty good about shining our light. We're pretty good about shining our, our strengths. We try and hide our weaknesses, but we want everybody to know the good things that we have to offer to put on the table. Or we like, to, we like to shine the good things that are happening in our life. But we need to shine the glory of God. We need to shine what we got in a way which they wonder what we've got. In a way which, which makes them think that they're just sitting there bored and they don't want to be bored. They want to have what we've got. Shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. Shine. Let it shine before all men. Let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. That means there's been a transition there. That means that they've come to also be shining. They've come to be glorifying the Lord with their life too. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we're saved by our good deeds, but it does indicate we should have good deeds happening in our life. We should have evidence of our faith, and specifically right here, that evidence is us shining the light of Christ. Disciples are intentionally building relationships. That's not another point. That's not a point four, because I told you three points. Disciples are saved by Christ. Disciples are obeying Christ. And disciples are teaching Christ. This is kind of like a sub-point. A sub-point, 3A. Disciples are intentionally building relationships. You can't be teaching others without building relationships with others so that you have the opportunity to teach. But we need to make sure that these relationships are not just shallow relationships. We need to make sure we're purposed and we're intentional with the time we have with people. Make sure that we look for opportunities to talk about the gospel, the good news. Make sure that we look for opportunities to talk about God's word and to bring up people, to teach people in the ways of Christ, the ways of God. Tell them what you got. Teach them what you got so that they're not just on the outside looking bored. So I, again, I told you I wanted you to think about one person, one name of somebody who you can tell about what you got, that you can disciple, that you can be intentional and purpose to study the word of God with. This is that time. I want you to write down that name somewhere. If you don't have a pen, 
then talk to a neighbor. It's okay. Look for a pen or there's a pencil in front of you in the pews. I want you to write down a name of somebody in your life. Maybe it's a name of a loved one, a relative, a family member, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Maybe it's, it's a wife or a spouse. Um, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a total stranger and you just want to go all out and try and teach somebody. Write that name on your hand if you don't have a piece of paper. That's probably better because you're going to see that name after church and you're going to say, oh yeah, I need to call this person and ask if we can meet up for coffee this week. Pick a person. We're going to talk about some practical ways to disciple. First, pick a person or persons. You could make up a group. Start a new small group. We just study God's word together and you talk about life together. But you must do this regularly and next, open a Bible. I think too often we have small groups, we have friends which we meet with all the time. We live life together, but we're not purposed and intentional to actually open up God's word, to study together, to teach one another, because you need taught too, and to pray together. You may, you may want to just meet once a week, maybe you want to meet every other week, but you must meet together. Now, this, this naturally could happen very organically, but intentionally seeking people know that discipleship usually requires some type of structure to start. Maybe two friends decide to read a chapter of the Gospel of John and then discuss it over coffee or work out at the gym. I'm not good at discussing while I work out. I try to, but I'm focused. Maybe two businessmen read a chapter each week from a, a Christian book and then talk about it on a Saturday walk through the neighborhood with their kids. Maybe two couples do a date night together once a month, and then they talk about what the Bible says about marriage. Maybe a godly older lady has a younger single woman over to her home on Tuesday afternoons to pray and study God's word. Maybe a mom spends time at the park with other moms and talks about a book of the Bible or talks about a Christian book, and they pray together and they teach each other about what God says we should be doing doing with our life. But let me also put in a hesitation about that. And we'll have some recommendations on how to study God's word, how to disciple in a moment. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't just read God's word to see what he's telling us about our life. We should be studying God's word to see what it says about him, about his nature, about him being God the Father Almighty, about his storyline from the beginning of creation to the to Revelation. You sh I think you get the point here. But also, we must be intentional in those spontaneous times too. Sometimes God does give us spontaneous times which were not planned. It's not that weekly time which you meet with this person. It's not that bi-weekly time or that monthly time that you're getting together with so-and-so for a date night. You just end up getting a phone call from someone. Hey, you want to meet up for coffee? You want to go to a movie? You want to you want to grab lunch while the kids are at school, whatever it is. You can be intentional in these small times as well to share little morsels of God's word and to teach, to teach. We must be intentional in the planned times and the unplanned times. So next, <clears throat> we open the Bible and we're purposed to pick a spot to start. Just living by example is great, but we need to do more. We're commanded to do more. We're commanded to teach. We must be intentional here. Focus on God. Open the Bible. Pray, teach, and grow. Because you are promised you will grow 
when you're putting this spiritual milk into your bodies. So here are some more practical steps on how to disciple. You can follow this example. I got this little equation last week in my pastor's conference. I thought I'd share it. Follow this example. When you open the Bible with somebody and you're discipling, I do, you watch. And then that should naturally move on to I do, you help. And then the next step, you do, I help. And then finally, you do, I watch. Now understand that this isn't always going to happen right away in your first session reading the Bible together. Also understand that some of you are very spiritually mature people. And maybe you get together for a Thursday morning Bible study with a group of people. And you can all contribute in all of these ways or in different ways together. You don't always have this happening in this direction. But if you're meeting with somebody new, you should have a plan and you should lead. I do, you watch. And then when you feel ready, you, you kind of encourage them. I do, you help. And then you do, I help. And then you do, I watch. I was kind of convicted of this at my conference because this isn't just for reading the Bible. This is a great formula to take into our lives as parents or as workers in the world. I mean, think about it. When you're teaching your kids how to rake leaves, I love to just do all the work myself because you get it done how, in a speedy manner. You get it done with the, the plan that you have in your head. But think about how different it could be if you follow this formula. I rake the leaves, I let the kids watch. And then I rake the leaves, but I let them help, and I coach them, I show them how to do things. And then they rake the leaves, but I help them. I get, give them little pointers, but I let them have the hands-on experience and to learn. And then lastly, they rake the leaves, and I just watch. And I sit back with a smile on my face because I'm not having to do it. No. I sit back with a smile on my face because I'm proud of how they, they've been brought up. And then I start to learn some things from them. That happens too. You see, oh, wow, look what they're doing. I never thought about that. Oh, look what they're doing with that teamwork. I tried to do it all myself, and you should have seen me dragging the leaves around. But no, they've got three of them, one on each corner of the tarp. Then they put a rock on one side to help hold it down, whatever. But you learn things from them when you have an opportunity to watch. But you're never going to have that opportunity to watch if you always just do it yourself. So this is a great example for us on how to disciple practically in life, but also with God's word. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. And then you do, I watch, and you allow yourself to learn from them. But there is a final step, and I forgot to write this down. After that you do, I watch, you encourage them to go find somebody to disciple to. The same thing holds true for small groups. I think you start a small group studying the Bible. You should always be looking for that person in that group who you can mentor. You can spend extra time teaching leadership principles to... And eventually, when you feel they're spiritually mature enough to, you encourage them to go out and start a group. This is multiplying. This is disciples making disciples. It was said last week by a fellow pastor that we are often spiritually obese people. We are spiritually obese people. We know our stuff, but we don't put it to good use to keep ourselves in shape. We have a lot of stuff, but we're not putting it to good use. We're spiritually obese. 
We need to put it to use. We need to teach. And this is what the Great Commission tells us to do. God will use you to help to build a future generation of disciples, but you must be willing. You must take that step forward and do it. So here's another practical example for you as you study God's word. As you study, start with God, then move to you. As I said earlier, you don't want to just read to see, oh, what's God telling me to do with my life? Because ultimately, it's not about you. It's about God. So first, we can ask, and this is just one example of how to study God's word. There's lots of examples, just like there's several examples of how to pray. We, have, we like formulas. We like models. But I'm trying to give you an example of how. First, ask, what does this tell me about who God is? Focus on God. Second, ask, what is God doing here? Then, next, ask, who am I? What does this passage say about who I am? And then lastly, ask, what do I do now that I know this information? And that doesn't, that doesn't mean specifically that that means you need to do something with your life. What do I do now that I know this information? Maybe this information was all about God. It means you need to change your outlook on who God is. You need to see God as a bigger God than what you see him as. You need to worship God differently. I guess that's somewhat related to you. You need to change. We all need to change. We don't see God as big as he truly is. If we truly understood who God is to the fullest of potential, if we had his wisdom, I think we would be like, the angels praising him, singing to him all day, all night for the rest of eternity. And someday we'll have a better knowledge of him. We'll be in his presence and we'll want to do this. But moving on, being a disciple, and even more than that, a disciple making and teaching disciples, multiplying, is hard work. Discipling yourself and others is hard work. It's also dangerous work, but we must not give up. Salvation is free, and we love it. It's glorious, but we're called to do something with our salvation. We're called to teach others and to multiply, to go on. Luke 9, 23 to 25 tells us about, about what our lives should look like. It says, then he said to them all, this Jesus speaking, he puts it very bluntly, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? It's hard to be a disciple of Christ. Especially when you think of it, it's not just leaving your, your comfort zone and leaving your old ways and having to figure out a new way, living according to God's ways, the better way of living. But also, Satan wants to do nothing more than to get in the middle of this and separate you from God. He wants to do nothing more than to break up our marriages, to break up our families. Because that's going to separate us from God's intended, intended will for our lives. Do not give up. Do not give up. This is the difference between life and death. Romans 10, 9-10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. There is only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus. It might be hard work, but we need to not give up because it's important work. Disciples should be saved by Christ. They should be 
obeying Christ, and they should be teaching Christ. Praise God that you are justified. You are made right through Jesus with God. Once and for all, you've been justified through Christ's body and blood. Praise the Lord. But also, praise the Lord that you're always being sanctified. You're being made more like him to be used by him. God never gives up on you. He wants to continue to help you and to use you and to mold you more into his image. But to do, to do that, we're going to have to give up some things. We're going to have to follow after him completely. Part of this means we need to care for one another. Part of that means we need to put bygones be bygones, and we need to look to Christ as the example to be able to move forward past our failures, past our addictions, past our problems, past our sins, past our, our issues. We need to be able to move forward and care for one another. You can't care for one another as long as you're holding on to things that you shouldn't be holding on to. But also remember the final words of Jesus in that great commission and be encouraged that you are not alone. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That right there is also a promise. We're not alone. Jesus gives you a promise that he is watching over you. And he also gave you a great helper in the Holy Spirit and a restored relationship with God the Father. In the Christian life, there will be temptations, there will be struggles, there will be persecutions. In fact, Paul himself reminded us and Timothy and others of the, of the persecutions that he endured through. And we need that. We need people to mentor us, to disciple us, and to show us how they've been persecuted, but also to show us how they're still there because they have God. We need people to encourage us. We cannot do this alone. We need reminders of God's work in others' lives so that we can see how God can also work in our lives. So again, I ask you as we close, who are you going to call this week? And that's twofold. Write a name on your hand. Write a name somewhere. Who are you going to call to disciple? Who are you going to ask to disciple you? Two names. We need two names. We need people to start with. Maybe you already have somebody. Is God calling you to send that person off and to challenge them to find somebody who they can disciple? Is God calling you to find somebody else, somebody additional, to be able to grow that group? Who are you going to call? Believers grow together into Christ's likeness by learning from the examples of Christ and one another. We need each other to grow. But most importantly, we need God's word. We need Jesus. Disciples are saved by Christ. Disciples are obeying Christ. And disciples are teaching Christ. A disciple is all three of these things. You need all three of them to work together. There's no other option. Teach one another Christ's ways, God's way, through his word, the Bible. Encourage one another. Challenge one another. Convict one another. Pray with one another and pray for one another. Let me close in prayer as the worship band comes up with the final song. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we are saved by you. We're saved through grace alone, Lord, but we should not just leave it at that. It is extraordinary news, Lord. It is great news that we are saved through you. We have salvation, but sometimes we forget about that, and we continue living as we're living, or we forget about that when struggles come, when problems come, and we we act like we're all on our own. We're not, Lord. You are in our life. And our life should be changing to look like you 
more and more with each and every single day. Lord, as we obey your word, as we dive into your word, as spiritual milk for our bodies, we grow in our knowledge of you. And as we grow in our knowledge of you, we understand you more and we, we grow in our dependency on you. But Lord, it all 